feels like Cardi to the stage. Okay, that's inappropriate. Maybe I'll save that for my TikTok. But we will be bringing you all to the stage. So please, if you have any questions for myself or Christine, once we start to get to about 45 minutes in, 40, 45 minutes in, you can start to raise your hands so that I can start to bring you to the stage like Cardi. <laughs> all right, so I am your host and favorite opportunity seeks. Uh, seeker, Dana Duckworth, aka Speak Up Dana, also known as Big Speaker. I am joined by my favorite former colleague and friend, Miss Christine Grisham Holloman. And let me just let y'all know, if you came here to hear us bash our, our last employer, you came to the wrong place because we absolutely love them so much. They are the most amazing people. And so many of them are still our really, really great friends. So this is not that y'all at all. Uh, the purpose of this audio event is to support ourselves and so many others that are dealing with the impact of layoffs, employment gaps, terminations, and other opportunity seekers that are looking for their next role. So why the title? Well, <laughs> humor is infused in every aspect of my life, honestly. For me, I'm a person that laughs through things. I can find joy in even the saddest of moments. And I want to just be honest with you all and my guests that like we, I'm not going to be humble right now, y'all. So bear with me. Christine and I are extremely qualified to do a lot of things. So it's hilarious that we're unemployed. Some of the challenges with unemployment and the things that it presents, kind of our day-to-day -day and what we do and how we keep ourselves motivated, those are also really, really funny things. So we'll, we'll share some of that with you and share some stories. Now, to introduce my amazing guest, again, one of my favorite former colleagues, Christine, this woman has 20 plus years of recruiting and talent acquisition experience. She is a DEI advocate, a former employer resource group leader, employer branding specialist, and also hilariously unemployed. Please welcome Christine to the show. Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for this invitation. Dana and I have worked together for nearly three years at our last employer. And um, like Dana said, this is not the space where we're going to bash our last employer because we had an amazing experience. Um, one of the best leadership teams that I've ever worked with, but I'm excited to share my journey being unemployed. Um, it just recently became hilarious, I think, because um, as I've navigated my way through the past six months, I've just had so many ups and downs. I have um, really identified as a career person over the years. I've been working since I was 16 years old. My career has always been my identity. And um, these past six months have been emotional and not for the reasons that I would have thought necessarily economical reasons, but really, as I said, losing that sense of my identity and trying to figure out how I'm going to rebuild. And rebuilding, you know, I initially thought that would just be securing my next great talent acquisition opportunity, but it's became so much more than that in my journey. And again, just so excited to chat with Dana again. I'm so excited to be able to share um, what I have. I never really thought of this as possibly being able to turn this um, this the past six months into something where I can help others and not just others who are looking for employment, but others who are actually actively hiring and giving some um, insight on what it's like to be on the other side. 
Christine, your expertise is a tool and it has to be used. Okay. So I am so thankful and grateful that you said yes to my idea, (laughs) my idea. So I want to pulse on something that you said there that your work and your career was so tethered to your identity because I felt that as well. I, this is the first time I've been laid off, but a previous employer that I had years ago, I quit because I knew it was just not the space for me. And I was unemployed for 10 months. Okay. And during that time, it really was a crisis of conscience, like me trying to figure out like, Everything was about my work. This is what I do. It was so invested in like entangled into my life and who I was. So losing that sense of career and identity was definitely a struggle. And I had to go through a lot of self-care and reflection and figuring out what I needed to do. And I think for me this time, while my identity is enthralled with my career, my identity is entangled in my own brand and who I am. And this brand goes to any organization and can be an asset to any organization. But one thing it will never do is leave me. So that's how I started to operate. And I think that's why I feel a little bit better this time about not having employment. All right. So I want to get back to you on some other things because we've talked about what what it is we really want to cater to and share with our audience. So let's get into your career story. Like how long have you been hilariously unemployed? I know you said six months, but if you can go in a little bit deeper about what you've been doing the past six. Sure, sure. Well, I was fortunate enough. I actually knew that the layoff would be coming about three months before I was actually laid off. And um, that's because I was in a very, as you were, small human resources organization. So um, obviously being a talent acquisition person, you can kind of see the writing on the wall because as you slow down in terms of hiring, um, you know, talent acquisition we're the first to um, to come on board and you know hire employees, but sometimes we're also the first to go, which is pretty emotional. Mm-hmm. So again, um, so since January, um, so the last three months of my last role, I was able to kind of rebrand myself um, within talent acquisition. I've been doing recruiting, executive recruiting, full cycle recruiting for the majority of my career. But the last three months in my last role, I started doing employer branding, so a lot of social media, building out our careers page, as you know, um, working on our careers video, which you were a part of. Thank you very much. So I was able to add a lot of things to my resume um, during those past three, um, the, the last three months that I was there. But um, so I've been unemployed for six months. This is the longest that I have ever um, not been fully employed in my entire career, as I mentioned, um, which um, is, has been incredibly scary. It's been a roller coaster, but I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed that you know, although things have been tough, you know, um, I've still managed to get by, you know, with the help of family, friends, my entire support system, old coworkers, you know, just really relying on my faith. I was also fortunate enough to get um, approached by St. Vincent de Paul in December, which is the largest shelter for the unhoused here in Alameda County. Mm-hmm. The organization provides 600 meals a day and also has beds available for 100 people per night. So they asked me to come and just do some, um, hourly work with them, which, you know, I thought, wow, this is kind of a great opportunity. I get to lend my talents and then also volunteer with the organization during the day, serving lunches. I built out their team, their, um, their chef, everything from their head chef to their HR generalist. 
uh, shelter monitors, you name it. So really, you know, I had a chance to get out of, you know, the typical traditional roles that I typically recruit for. But um, yes, but still searching. Wow. Okay. So there has been some opportunity. And that's why I say like, it's not a job seeker situation. It's really an opportunity seeker situation. Because for me, I am not necessarily ready to go back into an organization. One of the things that my layoff has allowed me to do, like I was able to do it while I was with my company, thankfully and gratefully, they're like, hey, you have your own brand, you do your own thing. That is absolutely fine. And that's another reason why I love the startup space because there are some spaces like maybe in real estate or other places where it's like, hey, you can't really have your whole own business and whole own other organization and also be focused in doing all of our work. Where in the startup culture, they want entrepreneurs, they want go-getters, they want people who are ready to build the next thing or have built their own thing. So that's really what they look for and what they're seeking. So I'm thankful for that. But for me, I'm like, hey, I have this gift of time now. So I can really turn up, speak up Dana. I, I'm taking summer, summer off. It's the hot girl summer. Okay. I'm taking the summer off to really turn up on my own personal brand. And hopefully by the fall, my brand will be in a line with some, some organization and I can bring what I've created for myself to that organization, align it with them and create engagement and more followers, more influence, and really boost that company up by uh, tethering my brand to it. So when we talk about opportunities, you had a contract opportunity and those are amazing, but we know they don't come with all of the benefits and all of the perks. So tell me about past employment. Is this your first time being in a situation like this one? No, unfortunately. Um, the past three startups that I've worked for have had layoffs or hiring freezes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not the first time. This is probably, this time I would say hit the hardest because again, as you know, I absolutely loved Zumper. It was my all-time favorite job. I worked for the best boss I've ever worked for who mm -hmm. remains a close friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, you know, I've worked for startups. I've been one of those people that has bought into the dream that this is a startup that's going to go public or get acquired, you know, it's going to be the next step. And I really commend the starter, the, I'm sorry, the founders of these startups that really have the heart and the stomach to just keep going and keep going. And, you know, um, so many of these layoffs, people take it personal, mm -hmm. but, you know, just having seen firsthand with so many founders, I mean, their intentions are in the right place. So many mistakes are made on the front end, like over hiring. Um, a lot of times there's a lot of bloat. You know, I've seen entire marketing organizations um, go and get laid off because they know that they can, that can either be repurposed somewhere else in the organization or it can be outsourced. So unfortunately, no, not my first rodeo, um, but you know, I'm still very committed, I'm committed to the startup world. And as you mentioned before, having to have that entrepreneurial spirit, your name may not be on the door, but you won't survive in a startup if you need a lot of direction, if you, you know, if you're not a self-starter, because there's so many days you're gonna wake up and it's basically like running your own business. Like, what am I going to do today to move the needle? As I mentioned, at uh, the end of my last role, I was told, you know, um, handle employer branding, our employer value proposition. I never thought of myself as a creative. Mm -hmm. It took me weeks to even figure out, like, where was I going to start? You know, I, I'm not a marketing person. And then, you know, 
my manager said, just start somewhere, you know, something's better than nothing, you know, just start writing something. And from there, it started flowing. And like you, I never thought about building a brand, but now I'm looking at this opportunity, the opportunity to speak with you and engage with you like, wow, you know, as you mentioned, this is a time to reinvent yourself. Maybe it's a time to become your own brand and influencer. Um, so lots of opportunities. Yes, the opportunities continue to unfold and I have not been <laughs> hilariously unemployed as long. Um, as many of you know, I shared on LinkedIn that I wrapped up my role with my last organization at the end of June. However, I can start to feel some of the things that are going to be a little bit different about my life. Um, thankfully and gratefully, I am in a good position, but for me, I live a life of convenience um, and excess. And one of my favorite things to do is to add to cart. And something hit me the other day. I went into my garage and I went to go get paper towels. I, in my household, when I was growing up, we would often run out of paper towels and toilet paper. So when I became a full adult woman, I was like, I'm never. So I'm going to Sam's Club. I'm buying two of the 550 packs. I'm, I'm stocked up, right? So I go into my garage and I have one roll of paper towels. And that's when it hit me that like, girl, maybe you cannot live the life of excess because you do not have a paycheck dropping into that bank account every other Friday as you are accustomed to. So some things, of course, will have to pivot and change. But let's get back to continuing to build on our skill set. So I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that you did have that pivot and somebody said, hey, work on employer branding. How important is it for people in roles, outside of roles, to continue education, learning and development, and figuring out what it is that they want to be doing, whether it's in that role, that organization, or in the next one? Oh, absolutely. I think I think um, very similar to, I guess, retirement. You know, you want to make sure that you keep yourself relevant, you know, and some of the things that I've worried about, like, you know, when I do join an organization is what have I missed out on in terms of technology or tools, you know, so I have to really make it a thing that when I log on to LinkedIn, that I am looking for information, I'm taking in something, learning from somebody in a way that, you know, I can make myself, um, you know, even better on my next assignment. I think that um, whether it's reading, whether it's talking to your peers, um, staying connected with folks that you either used to work work with or for is uh, completely important. And I want to go back to something that you mentioned when you mentioned your paper towels. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly understand, you know, living on unemployment or severance, I've learned that we can certainly learn to live on less. Um, I do joke with my friends, you know, they know that I still, there's things I want to do, like get my, um, you know, my hair done or get an iced coffee. And those are the little things that actually make me feel good. But in, you know, in a lot of ways, we certainly learn to live on less. I had it in my mind, this is the exact salary that I'm going to need to move forward. But, you know, of course, nobody wants to take a pay cut. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm still, by the grace of God, very, very comfortable. And I'm very mindful in terms of, you know, of, of how I see money. Um, so yeah, just wanted to touch on that. Yes, I'm working on the mindfulness as I went to Target yesterday. Um, it's still a little new for me, so I'll I'll need to lean on you in that regard. But what I what I will tell y'all is that uh, Christine and I we rarely have just an audio conversation. It's always FaceTime, 
and uh, she FaceTimed me and we're talking and I said, Christine, hey, would you do this audio event with me on Friday? I have this idea. I think that I could help people if not provide them with some great advice for whatever their next role is. Uh, just provide them with some humor on a Friday to, to get through your day if you're going through a layoff where you don't have the ideal role currently. And you know, Christine said, okay, I have to get my hair done. And I said, ma'am, it's an audio event. So <laughs> it's the type of, <laughs> like she, she, we are women who love to keep ourselves up. And I think that's so important. Like just because I'm laid off doesn't mean that I want to look bad. I still want to have the aesthetic and the lifestyle that I love. Looking good for me is so hugely important to my self-care and my mental health. So yes, you will see Christine and I with our red lipstick on, our hair will be quaffed, but we are hilariously unemployed. <laughs> so Christine, tell our audience a little bit about how you spend your days. Let's talk about how you spent last week and then how you spend your days regularly. Well, I used to start my day immediately jumping on LinkedIn and looking at job postings. And that became, I mean, it was like a black hole. I mean, I would look up, it would be 10, 11 o'clock. Um, and that's all I had done. And it became, and I've seen a lot of people write about this on LinkedIn. It could become very, very discouraging because there's so many people that are getting laid off. Um, it's an incredibly emotional space right now. I realized that it was jeopardizing my psychological safety. Um, just, you know, it was, um, and you know, I mean, it is what it is. People are going through things, but it certainly wasn't motivating me. And then also there's a new feature where when you do apply for a job, you can actually see the number of applicants. So for example, I might go to a director of talent acquisition, um, role, and it could be very specialized. Like, you know, we come out of the real estate tech space. I will go and I will see that there's literally 1200 applicants for that one job which for me is terrifying. And I automatically start, you know, doing the mental elimination as to why I'm not going to get the job. You know, I'm too old. You know, I'm a woman of color, you know, whatever those things might be. And it just becomes, like I said before, it can be a very, very vicious cycle. So now, um, again, I'm mindful. I spend, you know, a, I spend a, a limited amount of time on LinkedIn looking at postings, um, applying for jobs. I'm realizing that, you know, looking at a lot of the negativity was not good for my mental health. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of, as I mentioned, talent acquisition and HR people on the market right now. So that can be discouraging. And then I'm looking at stories of frustration and panic. They're mirroring my own situation. I mean, people are facing homelessness. There's stories of suicide. I mean, you name it. So now I spend, like I said, a limited amount of time. Um, I look at, um, you know, uh, I look at a lot of influencers that I follow now that are really writing, um, writing and, um, featuring a lot of motivating, um, things like, for example, there's a gentleman I follow who decided for an entire month, every week he was going to feature a single mother and, um, what she was looking for in her role. And these women were getting jobs. And I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. Um, and also, um, I would encourage people to look outside of LinkedIn. You know, built-in is uh, a platform, lots of amazing jobs. As you know, Dana, um, I worked on built-in with our employer branding, where I did the video and did our career site and updated all the pictures. Glassdoor is also awesome. Um, and then I know you're going to talk a little bit. I don't know. Did you want me to jump in um, 
to the self-care part you know when you mentioned morning I guess we can we can we can address that later yeah we can definitely get into the self-care but I want to go back to something that you said about that gentleman in your network who features the single moms because I know when we had our conversation and now to this day you don't have your open to network uh, badge on on LinkedIn. So can you talk to me a little bit about what the challenge was for you or has been prior to this for you to really put yourself out there and say, hey, I'm looking for work. I, I was laid off. I'm unemployed. I'm seeking these opportunities um, publicly as opposed to just navigating in the background and looking for your next role. Yeah, that's a great question. I still don't have my green banner open to work up. And I'll tell you, I think a lot, a little bit of it is pride. Um, you know, it's hard to put yourself out there. You know, as I mentioned, my identity has been tied to my career. So to put yourself on blast like that and let everyone know, you know, you're out of work, that's a little hard. Also, I will tell you, being um, on the other side and actually doing the hiring, I have seen bias. Um, I've seen unconscious bias when it comes to hiring managers and hiring teams, they automatically think, well, this person's been on the market. They must not be any good. This person's looking for a job. Oh, they must suck. You know, they must, you know, it can have a negative connotation mm -hmm. to the, you know, if, you know, let's just, let's just tell, you know, say it like it is, it can. But what I have done, um, although I don't have my, my green banner up, I don't intend on putting it up because I think it's a little distracting. Mm -hmm. I have been very selective um, now and there was a time, as I mentioned, when I was laid off, you know, again, it's a lot of ego and I'm used to being able to find my own position on my own. That's what I do. But now I have been very strategic and I'm actually picking up the phone and sending messages to people I actually know, one of one of which is on this call today, <laughs> um, you know, actually saying, hey, there's a job posting. I think I'm great. You know, I'm great. Would you be okay? You know, um, putting me up for this job and having these conversations with people I actually trust. So for me, although I don't have the green banner up, I'm now open to actually letting people know, hey, unemployment's running out. Like, <laughs> like the jig is up. Like I need some help here. Um, so that for me has been how I am now navigating um, my job search without the green banner up. <laughs> and for those who don't know, you'll see um, a lot on, on a person's picture on LinkedIn, it'll have open to work and it's literally a big green banner, which is just out there in your face. So some people have it up and it's working for them. I just, as a personal choice, I'm not there yet. Okay. I do have it up. It's not working for me because I'm still hilariously unemployed, but that's okay. For me, my tagline is that transparency is the key to inclusion. And through, I think, sharing my story, I've heard other people's stories like, oh, girl, I didn't want to say anything, but also I'm looking for work or I was laid off. So I think that that works for me. And also because I have my brand, it kind of lends itself to that and I can have more in-depth conversations with people. But what I will also say is when I did, and also that that green open to that work does not look good across my yellow suit. So maybe I'll revisit that at some point. <laughs> LinkedIn, y'all need to give the girls colors and flavors of that. But what I will say is the post that I made about being laid off, a lot of people I told them exactly what it is that I needed as an opportunity seeker. I told them exactly what I wanted and how they could support me. And do you know that people have showed up and showed out in the way that they have supported me? Um, I literally said, hey, I don't have Zoom Pro. Cecilia Stanton Adams, who, who leads my fellowship from the Diversity Institute, I'm gonna add you to my Zoom Pro. 
I said, I need an opportunity. I need a look. I need to be on this. Stephanie Anderson's like, hey, yeah, we can definitely be on that radio show together. My girls from Melanin and Multifamily, Ashia is like, oh, let me cash up you this. I'm like, girl, I'm good. Like, I just got laid off. I just like, I'm fine. But they have been so amazing. So I will say that being so open has allowed people to support me in a way that either I knew I needed support, I told them I needed support, or just shown up and been like, hey, are you good? And I'm very, very thankful for that. So I'm glad that we have this huge flyer that says the hilariously unemployed <laughs> so that all the people who know and love you can support you in the ways that they need to or the ways that you need them to. So absolutely. I'm glad I could put that on blast. All right. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I appreciate it. Let's get to some more of the hilarious stuff though. Can you tell me what's one of the perks that you miss the most about being an employee? Um, I definitely miss Slack. I love Slack as a um, form of communication. I know that you have set up your own personal channel and I'm going to follow suit. I think Slack is great because unlike texting, I mean, I'm famous for looking at a text and thinking, oh, I'm going to get back to it. But if it's work related, very hard, you know, those get buried. Um, Slack is something you can put on your phone. It's just minute to minute, create channels. Um, I miss Slack and I miss that having groups um, to talk about deadlines and so forth. I also miss, uh, you know, the social part of Slack because we have channels like for parents or pet owners, traveling, foodies. Um, I miss the wellness stipends. Uh, after COVID, a lot of companies, so a lot of companies were initially offering, I don't know, gym memberships or a significantly discounted kind of gym membership. When COVID hit, um, they took that money, most companies, and made it into a wellness stipend. So, um, for example, the wellness stipend we had, um, you know, people would substitute their gym memberships with possibly um, utilizing a mental health app like Calm, um, expensing Peloton equipment. I know you got a funny story with that, Dana. Um, mindfulness apps, yoga classes, mental health. So I do miss the wellness stipend. That um, that I thought was pretty cool, a pretty cool perk to have. Man, I was with that company for almost four years and I waited and waited on that Peloton. I was like, I'm not getting on the wave. I'm not getting on the wave, right? And in January, I decide, yes, girl, you're getting a Peloton and they're going to pay for it. Chow, I got four payments. <laughs> I didn't know I got a Peloton. You know, like, I miss my wellness stipend. That's the thing that I absolutely miss the most, along with the technology, man. I definitely miss that Slack space so much that I had to go and create one. And it honestly was my former coworkers that I worked with every day on every project all the time. And we're crying like, I'm going to miss you so much. And then IT says, oh, will not y'all just invite her to a, a Slack? So thankfully they had that idea and they was like, yeah, Dana, create your own Slack and you can still talk to us. So <laughs> they've been getting me through my days. We're still having some of those conversations and I've opened it up to other people. If anybody wants to join the Speak Up Dana Slack, please message me. We can share memes. We can share inspiration. We can talk about any challenges that you're having. Uh, whatever it is, you can join my Slack channel and we can start to create community there. All right, Christine. So let's go a little bit deeper. Can we talk about the panic that you feel when you find out you're being laid off and you need healthcare? Like we both are very open about our mental health and what we require. Can we talk about the stressors that come with that whole healthcare situation, the cobras of it all. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, 
Healthcare, especially just in this country in general, is just a huge stressor, and it's even bigger stressor for those who are unemployed. So um, that's one of the first um, feelings of panic that sets in. So, you know, for me, I'm a single mom with two kids, and that changes the game. If it was just me, um, I would, you know, probably chance it for a couple months and, and not have that coverage, but not having coverage was not an option for me. Luckily, and I know we're going to talk about um, negotiating severance, um, so I have some tips on that, but luckily, um, severance has, I'm sorry, COBRA, and COBRA, for those of you who don't, who don't know, who have never been um, hilariously unemployed, it is the branch between um, your health care and keeping your benefits, which means you pay a premium out of pocket, and it's incredibly expensive. So um, luckily, I was able to negotiate uh, my COBRA being paid, you know, through my um, through my unemployment severance through the company, which was awesome. But um, I will give you this heads up. Don't rely on that. COBRA, as I mentioned, is incredibly expensive. It's an out-of-pocket cost. Um, so you need to... Um, you need to really be prepared for when that COBRA ends. And what that means, it means um, looking into resources within your state or your county, because um, I have managed to luckily keep my health care. I've had to be very creative in doing that. I'm more than happy if people want to message me offline um, to tell you how that was done, but it took a good three months. So um, as I mentioned, you know, that COBRA, you may or may not find a position. I've always been fortunate enough to find a position before, um, you know, the Cobra situation was up, but I just knew there was no way I was going to be able to maintain, you know, um, the Cobra cost with um, the time that I've been unemployed. So luckily, you know, we are still fully insured, and um, I know that that Dana is going to talk a little bit about negotiating severance, but I will tell you, negotiate your Cobra or your healthcare as part of your severance package. Um, it is so worth it. And we don't, you know, we initially think, oh, dollars, you know, I want to see this amount of dollars when I'm paid out my severance. But um, the healthcare piece is a big piece and you're going to end up paying it out of pocket anyway. So you might as well, you know, use it as a, um, you know, as a negotiating tip. Yeah, that COBRA is literally no joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a hefty bill. I'm like, I'll just go to urgent care. Okay. <laughs> right <laughs> the cobra is insanity all right so we talked about negotiating severance uh one of the other things that i like to mention is the tech your technology negotiate your tech i still have my lovely macbook air thanks to my former employer and it's not on the onus of the employer to be so giving but if you think about it hey like you enjoyed these people that were working for you. It was a hard decision. You didn't want to have to do it. Something caused you to have to let people go. The best gift you can give to them, especially as a person who's going to be in the job market, is to let them keep that tech. You don't know people's situation. You don't know if they have that secondary laptop. For me, mine was just one of convenience. Like, I don't want to go to another laptop. I don't want to use my old one. Please just let me keep this. And it's like, it's a no-brainer for them. Like, yes, we're not going to send that laptop to any new employees. You might as well keep that laptop, keep that tech, keep that secondary screen, what have you. So let's let's go a little bit deeper about how to negotiate your severance, Christine, because I know you have much more experience than me just like, hey, can I keep my laptop? <laughs> <laughs> right. So actually, um, I'm now um, up to two laptops that I've been able to keep. <laughs> hey. <laughs> 
where's the playoffs, right? So, so I didn't even know this was a thing. And to your point, um, definitely apps to keep your laptop. And one of the reasons why as people downsize or as companies downsize, they're going to take your, your laptop, they're going to wipe it, and they're going to put it in a closet somewhere. It's very unlikely that they're going to repurpose your laptop for the next employee. I mean, people are buying new equipment. Um, let's, you know, it is what it is. So um, I've been fortunate enough to, where I've leveraged that in my um, severance package asking, hey, can I keep my laptop? And the answer has been yes. Um, the only thing is, you know, they will send me instructions on how to wipe it. Um, the last instance, I sent it back, they wiped it, um, and then sent it back to me, which was awesome. Also, years ago, when I actually left the company on my own, um, I asked if I can purchase my laptop, and they sold it to me for like, I don't know, maybe $100, $200, which was a great buy. It was a Mac Pro at the time. Mm. Um, so definitely take advantage of that when you um, when you um, negotiate your severance. Just ask. Like I said before, unless you're leaving under, you know, um, duress or really contentious circumstances, I'm, they're more than likely going to say yes. Um, when it comes to severance, I cannot say this enough. Keep your emotions in check. Don't bash HR. Um, if Dana and I were part of the HR team. They're not the enemy. They can actually make the process go so much more smoothly. Remember, they're the ones that get your, um, your layoff notice from the state. They're the ones who process everything in a timely manner. So again, keep your emotions in check just you know the, pr the process can go smoothly definitely read what you're signing um and it's okay to say hey i'm going to take a couple of you know days to take a look at this um and maybe you know have somebody else take a look at it um be clear on what your non-compete looks like um oftentimes and your non-compete can be null and void if you're uh, if you're let go but you know make sure you understand what that non-compete you know really looks like you know if it means going to work for a competitor um, possibly recruiting other employees away from your current employer. Let's see what else in terms of severance. Um, again, as I mentioned, I cannot stress enough asking for healthcare to be included in your severance. That's what I did. Asking to keep your um, your equipment. Um, let's see. Um, you know, this is going to help you as you look for your new role with that equipment, with that laptop, and then also. Um, just you know, making sure keep the door open. Just keep the door open. Think long and hard before you bash your employer. It's never a good look, even though you may want to. Think long and hard before in writing that scathing glass door review. Um, as Dana <laughs> knows, you know, we've seen and been on the receiving end of some of some pretty vicious attacks. And um, you know, it's just just, you know, try and leave with your with your head held high. It's very emotional. You know, as Dana mentioned, it's um the first thing that I react with is panic, um, embarrassment, um, you know, worry about how I'm going to take care of my family. But, um, you know, just as I said, keep a calm head, um, ask for ask for what you, um, you know, ask for as much severance as you possibly can, knowing that they're probably going to have some parameters. For example, people, employees who have been at the company from less to, for less than a year may only get two or three weeks. If you've been there longer, perhaps more. Negotiate um, possibly your end date. So, you know, um, I was able to, as I mentioned, negotiate my um, end date for um, a month or two out, which was phenomenal. So I stayed on board and I worked on other projects. Yeah. So I want to go back to something that you, you didn't call it this, but let's just call it what it is, the hurt of being laid off and in the situation, because especially myself and you, we loved working there. We loved our coworkers. We loved the organization so, so much. So when you get that news, 
you, of course, like Christine said, you have to keep your emotions in check. But once you hang up that Zoom call from getting that that notice, I was in tears. I was in boohooville, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what? I'm calling you who had already been laid off. Like, I was, you know, I called my mama. She's like, I'm a prey on it. It it just was, um, it threw me into kind of a spiral of sadness because I loved it so, so much. And that's also a problem with people who are so passionate about what they do, right? When you no longer can explore that passion or do what you love, it's kind of crippling. So for anyone out there who has been laid off or has dealt with this, I just want you to know that it's okay to be hurt. And like Christine said, it's not okay to then decide you're going to hurt that organization or hurt those HR people. Like they were crying in my calls. My coworkers were very sad. The last week I had too many happy hours that we were crying on and boohooing. And so please keep that in mind. Like we're all hurt by it, but it's not the HR's fault at all. So don't go making their life chaos. Christine, let's give these people some advice when it comes to applying for jobs. Can you tell us how many jobs you've applied for and what they should be doing when they do start to apply for roles? And then if you all want to start to raise your hands, I will try to get some of you all up on stage to ask some questions as we get closer to uh, 345. Sure. Um, I have applied to, you know, I've lost track. I know some people have have literally kept a spreadsheet. I've lost track. I see a great opportunity. I throw my hat in the ring. I've been fortunate enough to get um, a lot of interviews. But I'll tell you, as I mentioned before, the competition is pretty tough. And the competition for um, someone in my age group, my demographic, um, it's pretty competitive. There's people that are half my age um, asking for half of, 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 of what I earn, um, which, you know, is, 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 is incredibly hard. It's incredibly discouraging. Um, I, I just, I keep applying, as I mentioned before, I'm very strategic these days. I, as opposed to just applying for whatever's out there, I'm actually taking a hard look at that role finding who I know. Um, I've got a bigger network than I even thought, like realizing, hey, this person's been at this company. Why have I never approached him or her? A lot of it, as I said before, has been ego. You know, you're, you know, for me, you know, sometimes afraid to ask, just truly afraid to ask because you don't want to hear no. You don't want to be a bother, but people want to help more often than not, um, for sure. Yeah, they really do. I've, I've seen the outpouring of support from my network, both people that I know directly and people that I don't know have been absolutely amazing. Okay, Uh, continue to raise your hands and I'll get you all up on stage. I saw someone had their hand raised. So you all go ahead and get in that virtual line and we'll get you up on stage. Christine, take home assignments, child. Talk to the people about the take home assignments through your interview processes and your application processes. Dana, no, Dana, you already know I get very triggered at the thought of a take-home assignment. Um, I've never cared for them. Whether, um, you know, as I've done talent acquisition, I've always tried to steer my hiring teams away from them. I think that just uh, they've always, I should just say, as a candidate, 
um, it's never left a good taste in my mouth. Um, one of the reasons why is you have to remember you're basically giving away your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. You are. Uh, and there's, a, you know, a chance, a really good chance that, you know, you may not get the job and boom, you've done a bunch of free work. It is what it is. I've had candidates ask for a stipend for that. I highly um, recommend not doing that. It's just, it, I mean, if somebody offers, that's great. They'll usually do that for very specialized, like product design or if you're a UX designer. But people aren't going to pay you um, to do that assignment because they don't have to, because there's going to be 10 other people in line. They're going to do that work. So going back to the take-home assignments, I have only been asked to do a few. I have not gotten the job when I've done them. And it's always left, as I mentioned, just speaking for myself, a not so great taste in my mouth. Because oftentimes you realize you're presenting and I start to second guess, am I even addressing what they actually asked me to do? And I say that because the last take-home assignment I did back in February, I was actually turned down for one reason and it was a reason that I wasn't, that was not on the prompt. So I addressed everything else, but the reason that they turned me down, they were like, well, you didn't express enough on what you're going to do on back end recruiting operations, which wasn't one of the questions. Now I could have gotten mad and pitched a bit, but what good would that have done? So I recommend if you're going to accept that take home assignment, make sure it's a job you really, 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 really want. Cause they, they may say this should only take you two hours. For most, it's going to take six to eight. So just remember, you're going to do, you're putting in a lot of time, a big commitment. Um, and uh, I'll tell you the letdown if you don't get that position. It can, um, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it definitely on, on the opposite side, as a hiring manager, or I should say, yeah, as a hiring manager, ask the team, why do you really want that take-home assignment? Are you looking to see how they present their presentation skills? If that's the case, then ask them to do something related to actually a presentation skills as opposed to doing a very in-depth technical assignment. That's great. And if it's a it's a solely technical assignment, offer the chance, you know, for that candidate to perhaps do that um, presentation with their camera off. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you, like, just take some, I'll take some of my engineers that are candidates, great at technical presentations, <clears throat> but you know, do not want to be on camera. Yes. And from a DEI standpoint, neurodiverse standpoint, you have to give people the equity or the access or the starting point that it is that they need. Some people don't present well via camera. And if they're not going to have a front facing role where they're required to always show their, their face or interact directly with the consumer, then is it really necessary to ensure that they're doing this presentation with video on? I mean, I offer the opportunity in most of my spaces to say, hey, camera on, camera off, however you best share, whatever is going to allow you to be free to really contribute to the meeting, the call, what have you, I think is so hugely important that we recognize that. All right, Christine, totally. let's wrap it up with some self-care. And then I want you to do a little elevator pitch. Should there be any hiring people on this call that need a boss queen like yourself in their organizations? I would love for you to run that down before we start to answer questions. So self-care first. Sure. For self, uh, self-care, I mean, people are really, you know, suffering. Mental health is everything. So I'm really intentional about how I start my mornings. As I mentioned, I used to just grab my computer and jump on LinkedIn now I'm back to starting my day with my gratitude list. Um, I'm walking every day. I'm watching far less TV. Um, and now I'm I'm kind of trying to get myself back into the same groove I would be if I were working. So for example, I don't have my TV running all day. That is self-care for me because I can get sucked in. 
um, feel even less productive. So now when I do want to watch something, it's in the evening, just as it would be if I were working full time. Uh, Self-care for me and favorite books, The Alchemist. I read that once a year and I always get a new message. I read The Secret. Um, I work a vision board um, and read lots of books, um, lots of books about spirituality and just um, keeping motivated. And I'm getting better about picking up the phone and reaching out and talking to people, my friends, um, my family, making sure I stay engaged and not isolated, which can really happen, especially when you are unemployed, you know, your resources are limited. It's easy to isolate. It really is. And we're so used to communicating in the roles that we have. We communicate all day. So I definitely have found that I've made a ton more phone calls, a ton more FaceTimes than I normally would if I was in a position of work because I need that interaction and that engagement. It really drives me. And I call my mom every morning. I'm like, hey, girl, what's going on? And she'll tell me. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to get to work. And for me, getting to work is working on my brand. And what I've tried to do in regards to self-care is to keep that same energy when it comes to that schedule. I cannot allow myself to just hang out in that bed and sleep in. Um, some days I do want to take a nap, but I resist the urge. And then of course, having my animals, having my dogs, it forces me to get outside and get some vitamin D. Also, I'm a Dunkin' girl. I feel like I'm powered by Dunkin'. So I'm going to get that, that coffee in the morning, just like I would if I was about to get started for work. All right, Christine, go ahead and tell these people why they should hire a boss like you to be in their organization. Well, I'll tell you, I'm very good at what I do. I mean, um, culture fit is a big deal for me. I make an effort, a considerable effort, I'd like to think, um, to be easy to get along with at work. Um, I'm an empath. I, you know, I don't want, I think that we spend such a disproportionate amount of our time at work with our coworkers that, you know, you know, you should treat people as best as you can. So I'd like to find a senior level talent acquisition role or an internal executive recruiting role. I'm open to startups, but I'd really like to move into healthcare or a larger organization or a more established tech company um, as opposed to, you know, um, a startup. Um, so, you know, my strength is building recruiting initiatives from the ground up. I've often been asked to come in either as the first talent acquisition hire or um, somebody to take over a department, usually engineering or tech recruiting that really needs um, to turn around. Um, and I've done that diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm an expert at that. I love starting strong employee relation, um, I'm sorry, employee resource groups, as you know, Dana, that's how we met. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm looking for somebody, or I should say looking for a team that's looking for an expert like me that does executive recruiting, um, full cycle recruiting with a slant and an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ooh, y'all hear that? That was fire. That was an amazing elevator pitch. Obviously, she's got some sales skills because she's had to sell different organizations. So why wouldn't she be super fire at selling herself? Thank you. If you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody or you are somebody that is hiring, please look no further. Christine is that girl for you. My ultimate goal, and like it's just a goal that I have in the back of my head as I continue to do the Hilariously Unemployed um, audio events, is to at least get somebody an interview. And if I get them the job, I'll feel like I, I definitely did my thing. So I'm going to continue to push this initiative. All right, let's get some people up to the stage. Again, raise your hands if you want to join us here. I am going to allow you to speak. I think I, there we go. Is it Mignon? 
Hello, are you there? You're on mute. You got to click the unmute button on the bottom by the reaction. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. You are live. Hi. How are you guys today? Wonderful. Um, Christine, I think your, uh, your talk was very insightful, but I have a couple questions for you. You briefly talked about DEI. Mm -hmm. And I have just recently read that a lot of leading African-American women in DEI positions have resigned from their positions. So I want to get your insight on why you think that's happening, number one. And secondly, do you think with this job market that it's really difficult primarily for African-American women? And if you find that's the case, can you talk about why that is? Sure. That's an awesome question. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, right now, and I believe the statistic, there's about 70% of DEI roles that are actually no longer led by not even just Black women, but um, people of color, which is unfortunate. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay, good. Um, they're not even led by um, by people of color, which has been unfortunate. 70%, and again, this is just a rough um, number that I, that I had a chance to see, 70% of those roles DEI roles, high-level roles, are actually um, filled by white women, um, which is, you know, again, I will say that diversity, equity, inclusion, it at the forefront, you know, was almost always in terms of gender. It's just now being addressed that, you know, DEIB as as goes beyond um, just gender. It's, you know, sexual orientation, how someone identifies. Um, their, you know, um, just neurodiversity and what have you. So to answer your question, Mignon, I think that um, many of those roles, and again, I'm just speaking for myself and just telling you kind of my gut reaction, I wouldn't necessarily say that they've left those roles, but I will say that they have been, um, just like with my role in talent acquisition, probably some of the first to go. Um, so what you're seeing is definitely a thing. It's very unfortunate. It's a very quiet um, kind of um, kind of shuffle happening behind the scenes. Um, but it's definitely something something to see. I would love to speak to that as a DEI practitioner. What I will say is, if you see women exiting these roles, it is because. The work is exhausting and DEI burnout is a real thing. There are days when we cry because we just want everybody to feel their most authentic selves and come into spaces and it feels inclusive, but there are systems and there are strategies and there are time constraints and budget restraints and so many things that prevent us from creating this utopia that we envision in our head. And then you have the world around us where we see that there's not really, a, I won't call it an attack on DEI, but there are things that are happening within the law, within organizations that are changing the way that people feel about something that was a hot topic post George Floyd. Now they're like, uh, I'm over it. I don't really want to talk about that. I don't think it's as important. So when you are so invested and you have that high EQ, that emotional intelligence that allows you to do this work, because it's it's truly required to do this work, you get hurt a lot. And I think if you see Black women exiting those roles, it's because we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're wearing our heart on our sleeve because we just want everybody to feel their best in these organizations. 
And then the outside world continues to have atrocities and you see people being killed or laws against the LGBTQIA, the affirmative action. It's, it's so much. And I think that if you get exhausted from it, then you will make your exit. You will make your exit. And that's okay. That's self-care. That's, that's self-care uh, to be like, hey, I love this work. I love what I was doing, but it's too much. And a lot of us can get to that place. So thank you so much for bringing that up and, and making that a highlight. I actually want to bring up um, one more thing, Mignon. A lot of times too, with um, diversity, equity, inclusion budgets, sometimes they're the first to be cut. Mm. So I think that people actually leaving on their own, you know, is a mixture of frustration, a frustration over the lack of financial support, lack of resources, um, just a lot of unnecessary roadblocks that are preventing these DEI executives from having a more meaningful impact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for that answer. Thank you so much, Mignon. Talisha, I saw that you had a question, but your hand went down, but I definitely want to hear from you. Can you put your hand back up and anyone else who would like to come on stage and ask myself and Christine a question as we begin to wrap up this call? Please, please, please don't be shy. All right, Talisha's back. Yes, ma'am. You are on stage. Can you unmute for us? Mignon, can you mute yes. for us? Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Am I still on mute? We can hear you. We can hear you. Talisha. We can hear you. Hello. Now you're on mute again. Okay, we're going to try to get her back up to the stage. It sounds like she was having some technical issues. When you're ready, just raise your hand and I will get you right back up. All right, we've got you in and out. you in and out. The Wi-Fi is shaky. Okay, <laughs> unmute yourself. You're back. Just want to hit that mute button. I just think she's on mute. Yeah, she's on mute. Anyone else have any questions or wish to raise their hand to get in line while we try to get Talisha's audio up? All right. Is it Dijanay? I'm going to bring you up. Um, I think it's me on, it's actually me on my end. There's a problem that won't allow the attendee to speak for whatever reason. Let me, uh-oh, let me see if I can do something on my end. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, Dijanae is yes. on the stage. You are live. Let's hear it. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Well, hello, ladies. This is such an amazing dialogue and refreshing. I love the uh, laughter aspect to being unemployed. Um, as a diversity equity inclusion specialist who has been unemployed twice under three years, this is exhausting. So my question to you, um, Christine, is how do you navigate I guess your network, right? Because we all we all say your network is your net worth. But if 90% of my network is searching, how else do I 
dive into my network to find opportunity when the pool of those who are unemployed is larger than it's ever been. So how, what advice mm -hmm. do you suggest or things that you've used to try to use your network as your net worth when all of us are still searching? That's a great question. The first I'll tell you, I have had so many people tell me that they don't like to connect with people on LinkedIn, um, you know, and that is um, just having the biggest, vastest network that you can possibly have on LinkedIn will expand your network. So it's interesting because when I mentioned utilizing my network, and I apologize, the garbage people decided to start picking up the garbage right outside of my my window right now. Um, um, but um. So for me, looking at my network, I started to, instead of just looking, I would look at jobs and then look at, you know, um, if I knew, knew anyone within those organizations, which a lot of times I didn't. But what I did in reverse is I went through my closest network, meaning my ex-coworkers or old coworkers or friends and family of coworkers, um, a friend's husband, um, even people that may not have a job listed. I started putting myself out there more like, hey, I'm looking. So right now, I feel like I've got this little network of people close to me that are looking, um, not looking for me, but have me in mind. They've asked for my resume. They've said, let me focus by a few people. And I have this suspicion that my next opportunity may not be something posted. It could possibly be the right person at the right time, sending my resume to the right person, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. That that does make sense. And it's very beneficial during this time frame where everyone, it seems like, is searching for work or starting. Um, they're taking a leap of faith and starting their own podcast or starting their own business due to the impact of uh, the layoff. So thank you all for creating this platform. I definitely received a good Black Girl Magic chuckle and deep soulful <laughs> laugh because this work is exhausting. But I thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you, you for joining so much. I'm so excited that you were able to come up. Talisha, can we get you off mute? I don't know. Mignon has another question, so we'll bring her on up. You are live, Mignon. Hi. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, can you hear me? I yes. You can. Hi. I just have one other question. So another thing I want you guys is an insight on is AI. So we've been hearing a lot about AI lately, and how do you think that's going to impact the job, mar job market as we continue through this process of more things getting done with AI? Ooh, that, that is, oh, I'm sorry, we're both, we're both like clearing, I'm, I'm going to you go, Dana. Like, go look, I'm gearing up, and I know that some of you probably have to jump because we're getting to that uh, four o'clock hour, but uh, there's a lot of bias in that AI, so I'm, I'm nervous about it, but Christine, go ahead, I'm going to let you at it. Well, clearly, I am not a fan of AI, um, but I will tell you, um, people are using AI to rewrite their resumes and their cover letters. Um, I'm not even going to, a, a cover letter is something I could just address on a whole other podcast because I don't really believe in them. But AI is changing the scope of things, and it's changing things because um, similar to students in school, you're not really going to ever know what somebody really knows because they're able to utilize something to re to write something for them. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think that um, I think that there's going to be a lot of talent that gets snatched up solely based on um, what's been written on a resume or so forth. But whether or not those people will actually be able, it's just like 
I'm sorry, I can go off on a tangent. It's kind of like plagiarizing anything. You can get the computer to write anything you want, but you have to make sure, reread that and make sure it's something you can actually deliver and tweak it so that it's truly your voice. Nice. Particularly when it comes to cover letters and resumes, that's what I'm I'm referring to. That's great advice. And not only that, I guess my my other but other part of my question is, what about them taking over people's jobs, as far as when it comes to like the limited opportunities in the job market? Um, I was on a call this morning. The DEIER they actually had a live event, and that was exactly the topic, like AI and DEI, and and what does it look like for us in the future? And one of the guests said that, like, hey, you can have all of the AI you want, and you can eliminate roles, but you cannot negate the fact that you need that human aspect to do a lot of what it is that we do, right? So when we're talking about people who have uh, high EQ or people who are creatives or innovators, you can't really get that through AI. I mean, you can, but it's not going to connect to other humans in the way that you would want it to as a business owner or a brand. I do see the potential. Like when I go into Walmart, I'm so frustrated because there's no cashiers and I'm like, I don't work here. Why am I ringing up these groceries? Um, so I do see it happening at fast food restaurants. You're, you're ordering on a kiosk. So I do see that, but what's going to happen is the people who are eliminated from those roles, they have to start to get more well-versed in technology because the technology will need people to service the technology, to build on the technology, to implement the programs, to figure out what's next. So you have to upskill. You have to be willing to upskill every time because you are going to be the person that pushes the technology forward. All right, y'all. Well, let's close it on that because we are at the time. I am so thankful, humbled, and grateful to my guest, Christine grisham Holloman. Thank you so much for joining the hilariously unemployed audio event. Thank you to our question seekers. We really appreciate you all for contributing to the conversation. To my audience, y'all, thank you so much for coming and spending an hour with me on a Friday. I am Speak Up Dana, public speaker, DEI consultant. If you need me, I'm also your favorite opportunity seeker. So keep your girl booked and busy. All right, y'all have a happy Friday. It's been real. Thank you, everyone.